Good to see you all here this morning. What a wonderful day outside it is. So nice to have you here. Thank you, Brother Victor. Well, this is our picnic Sunday. It looks like we have good weather for all such activities. That is going to be good. Would you turn in your Bibles? We're going to be over in Luke's Gospel. Here's one of those chapters that we haven't covered as often as some of the other chapters that we have. Luke chapter 19. We're going to see that being faithful to God's will in leading may take us to places that we don't like. Have you ever had God lead you to a place you don't like? I don't know if I want to go here, God. But if you want to increase in what God has given you, you need to do what God says to do. So we're going to take a a look at a character that everybody knows about in the Word of God, but very seldom does it seem that we take a look at his story. So we're going to take a look at Zacchaeus here today. Last week we were looking at four roadblocks to growing in faithfulness. The first off, I may be ignorant, may not know what God has said. I may not know what the Word of God teaches. I may be faithless. I may have heard it, but I'm not mixing faith with it. I don't believe. I may be unfaithful. Well, I heard it. I believe it, but I'm not doing anything with it. And third, I may be forgetful. I may have forgotten what God has said. Forgot what is said in His Word. Forgot what He told me. And we looked at this with the parable of the talents. And we saw how these folks had increased. They asked the question, how do I increase? Well, go out and get more word. Don't just be content with the word that you have. Go out and get more. Listen to it. Hear it. Put some faith in it. Don't be unfaithful with it. Once you've got that word, you put some faith with it. Go out there and be faithful. Don't forget it. Make sure you keep it in the forefront of your mind. Pursue it. Now here, let's take a look at our story about Zacchaeus. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, if you want to read ahead, you'll find out that he is on his way to Jerusalem. So this is the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Anybody ever remember a story that happened along those lines? Yeah. We had a certain certain man who fell among thieves on the road to Jericho. He got passed by by a couple people. Until the Samaritans stopped. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. Now how many people in the Word of God do you remember saying that they were short? You remember anybody in the Word of God that mentioned that they were short? So how short do you have to be to get mentioned in the Word of God that you're short? I would say you have to be pretty short. We're not looking at somebody who's 5'5". Because, I mean, they're, they're short, but not unusually short. This person must be unusually short because it's never mentioned that anybody else is short. We don't even have a mention that they're tall. 
It doesn't really spend a whole lot of time on the height of the people except for this guy. He couldn't see over the crowd because he was short. Now, there's ways to overcome being short. If you're little, you just get somebody big. I have a lot of a lot of pictures of me and my granddaughter, and she's up on my shoulders because there was a lot of events that we would be at, and she couldn't see. And she liked to get up on my shoulders and just uh, hang out there for as long as I would hold her there. Tried it with little boy a few times, and uh, he's not as, as he doesn't get as much of a kick out of it. We put him up there, and he says, "All right, I went down." <laughs> Never heard that from her. You had to just say, "Look, I got to take you down," because you get your muscles just a little tight up there. But uh, boy, as long as you'd put her up there, she just uh, sit up there and have fun. So if we're at a parade, you know they still do those. I was surprised. <laughs> you know they still do parades. And she'd want to see, so I'd put her up on my shoulders, or Dad would put her up on her, his shoulders, or somebody would put her up on her shoulders, and so she can get a better view and be able to look out. See, that's how we overcome, because she was short. Now, you expected her to be short, because she was, you know, three. Three-year-olds are generally short. But he's not three. And he's rich. But apparently... Being rich won't buy you height. There was one time we, we took the youth group, the church here, we took them out to a basketball game. And we went to this basketball game, and I still remember that one. The 76ers were playing a team called the Denver Nuggets. I don't like their uniforms. They're light blue. It's not my favorite color blue. But they were out there in the light blue uniforms. And they had a particular player... On there, I believe this was during the days of the Allen Iverson era. How many remember Allen Iverson? How many know that Allen Iverson was short? All right. Understand this. Allen Iverson was my height. Yes, he was. He just looked short. When you stand amongst trees, <laughs> you'll look short. But he was my height. He was around 6'1". He was, uh, he was not short by any standards of normal measurements except basketball we would consider him to be short but there was a particular player who was out on the on the field that made Allen Iverson look tall he played for the Denver Nuggets how short do you have to be to make someone who's 6-1 in a field of giants look tall and this particular player, I mean, he had some, he had some skills. You can, you can play basketball and be short. It's just harder. Cause you're playing amongst, amongst trees. But he was there. I remember him. He, now he, by, by most people's standards, I'm sure he was, he was not that short. He just was really short for a basketball player. If you're making Allen Iverson look short or look tall, you gotta be at least a half foot shorter than he is. Maybe even more than that. I forget his name now. But, um, if I heard it, I would probably remember it. He stayed in the lake for a little while. But this guy is short. I'm going to tell you a few other things we know about Zacchaeus that you might not be aware of just from reading this story. You don't have to go anyplace else. You don't have to go into Jewish history. You don't have to find out what the rabbis had to say about him. Just in this story, there are some things about Zacchaeus that may surprise you. Let's continue to uh, to read here. So here's here we have the crowd. For he sought to see who Jesus was. 
Apparently, he heard about Jesus. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see, get a, get a view. He didn't just want to be in and around Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And no one's given him the ability to see. Understand, he is a tax collector and he's a chief tax collector. What did the Jewish people think about tax collectors? Not a whole lot. Because if you're collecting taxes, you're collecting taxes for the Roman government. Jewish people don't like the Roman government. They come in and they, you know, they're lording it over them. They don't like all the things that the soldiers make them do and so forth. And they don't want to pay taxes to Rome. Remember a question that Jesus was asked? Should we pay taxes to Rome? That was a question because they didn't like paying taxes to Rome. Well, if you don't like paying taxes to Rome, what are you going to think about the people who collect those taxes? And this is what Rome would do. Rome would get people from the area, local people. They didn't want to send their own Romans into the city to do this. They wanted to get local people to do it. Uh, because if they killed them, they got mad and they killed them. At least you're not losing any of your own people. You just lose some of the people from in there. You just replace them. And so they recruited this guy. And he became a tax collector. But then he eventually moved his way up. And he became a chief tax collector. You don't start off by being the chief. You got to start off by being one of the peons. But he started off there and he became a chief tax collector, which means he had some skills. And whatever kind of skills you need to be a tax collector, I don't know what they are. Obviously, strong-arming people and beating them over with a club to get the money out of them, that's probably not it because he's short. But he couldn't see for the crowd. The crowd is not helping him out to see. He might say, hey, I want to see too. And they say, we don't care about you. You're a tax collector. And they kind of just push him back, push him out of the way. So the crowd prevented Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, how many of you don't know what a sycamore tree is? Okay, there's a great book out there. We read it as a worship team. It was, I believe it was called You Can Get Over It. Sometimes I remember the title along. Brother Rick Renner. You ought to get that book and read it. I think we had a couple more copies around here. If you're interested in it, don't want to find it yourself, I'll, I'll find them. But um, you can get that off Amazon and all the places you buy books from. Worthwhile to, to read that. And he has a lot to say about the sycamore tree. And I'll let you hear it from him. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now this tells us a few things about Mr. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a problem solver. And he solves them very quickly. He has the ability to look ahead. You see, he looked at Jesus, and he looked at what Jesus was doing, and he said he anticipated him. Alright, Jesus is going this direction. Now, what's up in that direction? There's a tree. All right, so there's no crowd there right now. I'm going to run ahead, get into that tree, climb up that tree, and then when the whole crowd comes with Jesus, they can't move me anywhere and I'll be taller than they are. And I can see Jesus. Now, that's a person who solved the problem. What was that hand? This is probably why he got ahead and became the chief tax collector. What this also tells us is he was amazingly short. Because if you've got a guy with this much skill, this much ability to solve problems, this much ability to look ahead and use the resources he has 
to come up with a solution in a matter of minutes. How many of y'all know there's some jobs he could have? There's some things he could do. But he's precluded from doing any of those jobs because people look at his height and they say, he doesn't stand a chance. And so he was left with nothing else to do except collect taxes. No one else would give him a chance, but Rome would. We just need people. And as he settled in there, his problem-solving ability, his ability to use the resources that were around him, set him apart from everyone else who did this job so that he became the chief tax collector in the area. He rose to as high of a level as he could for what he was doing. So he figured out the path, he looked ahead, and he envisioned a solution. This is a forward-thinking, problem-solving individual. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to Zacchaeus, Make haste, or said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. So here's his plan. My plan is I'm going to get into the tree, climb up the tree. His only goal here is to see Jesus. I just want to see him. A lot of people, they wanted to get touched by Jesus or they wanted to touch Jesus. He just wants to see him. He doesn't seem to have any any condition that he needs healing for. He's not coming to Jesus for a particular miracle. He's not coming to Jesus for healing. He just wants to see him. And he can accomplish that by getting into a tree and looking down. But something happened he wasn't anticipating. Jesus came to the place of the tree where he's at and Jesus stops and he looks up right where he's at and he says, Yo! You! What's your name? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, Zacchaeus. Now, when you look through the Word of God, how many times do you read the name John? James? A bunch of times in there. You know that even Jesus was a pretty common name? Judas, there was two of them amongst the disciples. We read names in common very often but um, I only read one Zacchaeus he's the only one I read and Jesus knows him by name he's never met him he's not a he's not a character in the city that everyone wants to know Jesus probably doesn't go around saying hey what are the name of the tax collectors around here But look at what he says. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. So in that one statement, here we got this. Jesus was told by his father because we know from Jesus' statements himself he doesn't say unless anything unless the father tells him to say it. And he doesn't do anything unless he sees the father do it. That's what we, we know. So he, he does what the father tells him to do and he says what the father tells him to speak. And so when he stops there and he looks up 
And he says, Zacchaeus. Who told him that? The Father. Make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So we're piecing some things together here. But this is what happened. Something along these, these lines. If I was monk, I would tell you, here's what happened. But I'm not. But he'd be able to put this together too. Jesus, maybe that morning, maybe the night before. Time of prayer, maybe not a time of prayer. The Father says to him, on your way to Jerusalem, as you come out of the city of Jericho, you are going to pass by a sycamore tree. And in that sycamore tree is going to be a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He's a sinner. When you get to that sycamore tree, I want you to stop, I want you to look up, and I want you to call him, and I want you to tell him to come down and to prepare his house for your arrival. For you must stay there. Look at Jesus' words. For I must stay at your house. Who's making Jesus do anything? Nobody makes him do anything, but he does what the Father says to do. Which means the Father is mindful of Zacchaeus. Because the Father is mindful of Zacchaeus, Jesus became mindful of Zacchaeus. And even though this man is not born again, has not pursued Jesus, has not looked to get any of the teachings that Jesus has, has not pursued him for a miracle. We don't even know if he knows anybody who's had a miracle done. Maybe he does. Maybe that's what perked his interest. But Jesus came to the place and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and received him, Zacchaeus, received Jesus joyfully. He was glad. Oh, this is great. Some, sometimes I might scare you. If you're trying to stay out of the, out of the background and just, I just want to see him. And all of a sudden he stops and he calls you. Maybe you might get a little concerned. He doesn't get concerned. He says, oh, this is great. You're coming to my house. Nobody comes to my house. Oh, this is wonderful. So Zacchaeus knows who, or Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. He knows his name. He knows where he is. And he knows that the father wants him to go to his house for dinner. Now when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he encounters him as a sinner. But he does exactly what Jesus says. As a sinner. He's not born again. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't trust in God. As far as we know, he doesn't even do what the law says to do. But when Jesus says, make haste, come down, I'm going to your house. He immediately gets down. He makes haste. And he receives him with joy. He receives him with joy. Remember that statement here. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Who complained? They all. They all. But when they saw it, they all complained. I don't know if that all means the disciples, but it doesn't say that they they weren't amongst them. But at least the crowd that was with Jesus... They complained. Maybe some of them were hoping that he would stay at their house. That they would come 
to one of their houses and have some food. Maybe they didn't ask. Maybe they wanted to ask. We don't know what it is, but they all complained. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, if the people are saying he has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner, how do they see themselves? As not a sinner. They see themselves as worthy of Jesus' visit. But this man is not worthy of his visit. They have decided. And they've begun to complain. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Has someone ever done something that you didn't like and you complained about it? Of course, never. Maybe over at work, somebody got something that you were hoping you would get and you complained. And what do you, what's the complaint? Well, why did they get it? Well, how come I didn't? Well, I did this. And we come up with reasons why we're upset that I didn't get what that person did. I think I should have. See, Jesus can't go to everybody's house, but he chose Zacchaeus. Why did you choose him? He's a sinner. But when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. I'm coming to your place. The Word of God says that he did it joyfully. He was glad to do it. And that's something you're going to be seeing is missing from everyone else. They don't have joy. They're missing the joy. They're complaining. We've mentioned this to you before. You cannot complain and have joy. Once you start complaining, the joy is gone. Got to get that joy back. Don't be complaining and be rejoicing. You may remember that from before. But the others complained. Verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, take a look at this. You may have breezed over this in the past, but I want you to, to see, we got a little bit of a clue here about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, I give half of my goods to the poor. As far as we know, Jesus didn't ask him to give a thing. We have the rich young ruler, he asked him to give everything. And he didn't want to do it. We don't have that he asked a single thing of this guy. But he stood up on his own and said, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. Remember, he's a rich man. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, if you're going to give half of your goods to the poor, that's going to leave you with half of your stuff left. You are half as rich as you were before. I don't know how rich exactly he was, but however rich he was, he's now half as rich. Isn't the reputation of most tax collectors that they did it deceitfully, dishonestly? And they made this gain by some way that they shouldn't have? But look at his statement. If. That means more than likely he didn't. Otherwise he would say, whoever I have stolen from, 
But he didn't say that. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation. In other words, if I have used a false accusation to get something from someone, I will restore it fourfold. Now, he's just half as rich now as he was before. If he's done this, he surely cannot restore fourfold too often. So by his own estimation, this if it has happened, it has not happened often. Does that give you a little different idea of Zacchaeus? Here you got a guy who is short in stature, who can solve problems in an instant using the resources that are around him. Does not blame other people for what he cannot get to, but finds a solution himself. He's in a profession that most people see you are dishonest and you gained your money in a bad way and yet he is rich and he says if. This would tell me that the riches of that he has have not come because he has done what he should not have done through taxes. But that this man has made some incredibly wise investments and he is probably a great investor. I would say that if you wanted to give your money to somebody in this day to invest, Zacchaeus was probably a good guy. Because whatever he did, he took what money he was given and he multiplied it. He made it increase. And he says, if there's any place where I have done something through false accusation, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. He was Jewish. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which which was lost. So Jesus comes to his house and this man gets saved. And Jesus is thrilled. Everyone else, why would you go there for for food? But Jesus says, "This, this is what I need to be about. This is what I need to be doing. This is the will of the Father. My father was so concerned about this one particular individual, he told me where he would be, what his name was, and that I was to go to his house. And I did, and look at the results. Hmm. Now, I gave you some verses there. Jesus didn't condemn him for his sins. A lot of people would condemn him for his sins. A lot of people that were around there would have probably condemned him for sins. A lot of people would have been condemning him for sins he apparently didn't do. They saw him as a thief, as a robber. Apparently he doesn't see himself being that way. You can look up those verses later on if you like to. But let's go on to verse 11. Now as they heard these things, what things? Stuff with Zacchaeus. As they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So there's your reasons for why this parable is being given. After they heard these things and because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. 
Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we have not, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded his, these servants, to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful and very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. So he's talking about how to take what you've got and multiply it into something great or greater than what you were given right after the story of Zacchaeus. Right after the story of a man who apparently became rich not by taking wrongly from people but by being a smart businessman. And so he says, I'm going to give you a parable. Ten guys were given ten minors, one each. This is very similar to the parable of talents. Just a few differences in it. One of those differences is this. That there are people who didn't want him to rule over us. In fact, they sent a delegation after him. We don't want you to rule over us. You can go get your kingdom. We do not want you to rule over us. Does that sound like what's going on today? Is there a delegation of people out there who do not want God to rule over them? Some of those people have taken a God-fearing country like ours, founded on religious principles, founded with scriptures, put in all the plaques, all the monuments that have been built. Every single one of them has scripture somewhere. Started Congress by praying beforehand. They still do it, but a whole lot of people don't want it to be done. And then they started trying to change some of the prayers and bringing other people in who were not who had prayed to someone other than God. But they sent a delegation after him. We don't want you to reign over us. We don't like you. So the ten guys that he's speaking about, they have property from the master. They have to take that property and make it work in a hostile environment. They have to make it work with people who don't like them and cause it to increase. Isn't it interesting that he just gives this parable with the enemies in mind after being with Zacchaeus who had caused his money to increase and became rich in an atmosphere of people who didn't like him? They saw Zacchaeus as serving Rome. And they didn't want Rome having that empire over them. But Jesus is now talking about himself. I'm going to receive a kingdom. And there's people who don't want me to rule over them. So, one guy got ten. Grew it to ten minus. Another one got it to five. Now, it says that they netted. This was the net. That meant that they, in trading, they probably lost some, gained some, lost some, gained some. So it was not just a steady stream up, it was a up and down. But in the end, they gained, one gained ten, he said, have authority over ten cities. Another gained five, you have authority over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief. 
For I feared you because you were an austere man. In the parable of talents, talents he buried it in the ground. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Is that not the same thing that the other man said? He said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him. Give it to him who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. This is a different parable from the parable of the talents, and yet it ends in a very similar fashion. And once again, you're going to learn this about God, and you're going to learn this about Jesus, you're going to learn this about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God God is not socialist. It is not socialistic. If you don't work hard, you won't have much. Amen. If you want to be lazy, God says, then you don't get none. In fact, that's even in the Word of God. If you don't work, don't eat. That's in the Word of God. Because He expects you to work. He gave you stuff. He wants you to get out there and do some stuff with it. Don't be sitting around there at home waiting for somebody to come over and take care of you. That's what He says to do. I know there's some people who can't do some things. They you know, became disabled or, or things happen to them. We're not talking about that. We're talking about doing what you can. Remember, Zacchaeus was short. There's a lot of things he couldn't do. Play basketball was one. <laughs> He's a short guy. But he found something that he could do. And while everyone else had the height advantage, he was the guy who got rich. This is the guy who knew how to work things, even in an atmosphere where people didn't like him. And he made him grow. Became rich. So much so that he could just stand up and say, I'm going to give half of it away. How would you like to be able to stand up and say, I'm going to give half of what I have. Just give it away. Not even bat an eyelash at it. Hmm. Now, some enemies that we have in this world may just need an encounter with Jesus in order not to be an enemy anymore. There might be some more Zacchaeuses out there. All they needed is an encounter with Jesus and they'd stop being an enemy and they'd come over to be on the right side. We're, we're there, folks. Just take that light and just spread that light to let people see there's a different way. Not to go out there and to condemn them. Jesus doesn't go in the house and say, you are a sinner and you better get fixed up. You're going to hell. You're going to burn. He doesn't do that. He goes over and they have a nice lunch. Dinner, something. I put this in your outline for you. Selfishness is simply misplaced faithfulness. Because the Word of God tells us you are going to serve someone. This particular uh, singer made a whole song out of that. Remember that one? I didn't like the song, but I liked the message. How many remember that song? Got to serve somebody? Really? You don't know that song? How many know Bob Dylan? Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, Bob Dylan. During those, uh, the time when he was born again, he decided to serve Jesus. Wrote that song. You're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve God the Father, you're going to serve Satan, you're going to serve yourself, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to be faithful to something. 
You're going to be faithful to protect yourself. You're going to be faithful to do what you want to do. Or you can be faithful to God. There's a lot of things you can be faithful to. But selfishness is simply misplaced faithfulness. You are faithful to the wrong things. Now, here's some things that we got to remember when we are dealing with people that are outside in the world. These will help you. Because a lot of times, people don't keep this straight. And they try and do things we're not called to do. First off, you do not have to make God's way more acceptable. There's a lot of people out there today trying to make God's word more acceptable. Well, yes, Jesus is a way. We've heard that one. No, Jesus is the way. He is the only way. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus. That's it. If you don't want to go that way, that's your choice. But you're not getting to heaven. Boy, you you shouldn't preach it that strong. I mean, maybe they might get there. I mean, you never never know. No, I do know because the Word of God says. So, first thing you got to remember, you do not have to make God's way more acceptable. Preach what the Word says. If God said it, then preach it. We've been going over Ezekiel on the Wednesday night. And one thing God reiterates with him. Speak my word. Don't change it. Don't alter it. Don't make it more palatable. If I tell it to you this way, speak it this way. And that's what he had to do. That's what we got to do. Second thing. You cannot make people believe. Can't make them believe. There's, there's people we want to make believe. But you cannot make them believe. Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him for he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If you're going to deal with people in the world and they refuse to believe that God exists, that Jesus exists, that Jesus is a way of salvation, if they refuse to do that, there's nothing you can do. Just walk on. You don't have to call fire and brimstone down on them. You don't have to do it. Talk to him about that, uh, that assurance that we have. Here's the third one. You are not qualified to condemn. You aren't qualified for it. Remember Jesus' words? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If Jesus is not qualified to condemn, neither are you. And neither am I. I don't go around condemning people. Go around and live what the Word of God says to do. Doesn't mean you can't point out when, when false things are going on. And they were, they would, uh, call out people that were false, false teachers. They would call it false prophets. I'm talking about that. But don't go around condemning people. Somebody messed up, somebody did something. It's not your place to go out there and make them feel worse about themselves. Jesus didn't do it that way. Follow his example. Here's the fourth one. But we are called, we are supposed to be a light in the darkness. Just be a light. If you are a light, you will attract people to you. Lights rejoice. Lights are glad. Lights don't go around complaining and grumbling about all the things that are happening around them. They are lights. Be filled with joy. You will attract far more people to the things of God if you yourself are filled with joy than you will if you grumble and complain and aren't very happy in life at all. 
Here's another thing. No matter what shortcoming you have in your life, I don't care what it is, there is no shortcoming that will keep you from becoming a profitable servant for God. Zacchaeus was probably the shortest man in the country. The only man in the Bible we have who's called short. I don't know if you all remember this, but most people consider my wife to be short. We used to bring in, uh, before she passed on, we used to bring in a lady uh, for uh, some special services who made my wife look tall. <laughs> yes, that was possible. My wife used to love having her come out. She, and that was, she made her look tall even with her puffy hair. She had puffy hair that went up. And uh, she still made her look tall. Just because, just because you may have, be short, don't feel you're as smart as someone else, don't feel you're as skilled in some way, don't compare yourself to other people. Take a look at what God has given you. God's given you a minor. He has given you something. You take that minor, you go out there, and you, you make it work. You get two, and you get three. And last week we were talking about how you can take what God has given you and put it to work. Become the best that you can be at whatever it is that God has given you. Be the best light you can be on your job. Be the best usher that you can be in church. Be the best greeter. Be the best worship team member. Be the best whatever it is that you can do for God. You be the best you can do. You put everything into it that you can. You be faithful with that thing that God has given you. Before long, you're going to find that there's another thing that you're doing. And then there's another. And then there's another. And you'll be increasing. By the time that Jesus comes back for his kingdom, you would have gone from one mina to ten, to five, to something. But don't take that and say, I have no skills. Wrap it in a handkerchief and put it in a drawer somewhere. That's not what we're called to do. Be faithful with what you got. The enemy will tell you all the reasons why that you don't have to become anything more than what you are. He will show you your shortcomings. He will show you the shortcomings of other people. Tell you why you shouldn't take what they're giving you. Well, they've got this going on. they got that going on. Look past your own shortcomings and surely look past the shortcomings of others. Let God use them in your life. And let God use you in theirs. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our Communion Sunday. This is our day we remember the things that Jesus did for us on that cross. I'm sure that the enemy along the line was telling Jesus that there was something about him that made him inadequate to be a savior. Don't think that Jesus was not ever told something about his life, about his makeup, about his being. That the enemy was trying to say, you cannot be Savior of the world. Look at these things over here. And look at this over here. And you're not this over here. And look at these. And he's always showing them things and always comparing them. Jesus had to resist that temptation just like we had to resist that temptation. For the Word of God says that He was tempted in all manner, all ways that we're tempted. 
The devil doesn't come up with new stuff. And he really doesn't have to because he keeps working. But it didn't work on Jesus. And it doesn't have to work on you. If God entrusted you, and he has, with a mina, with something that has some value, something that you can use in this world to bring him profit. Don't count it as, as nothing. Don't see that, well, I, all I do is this. It doesn't matter. Do it with everything that you got. Because that's what Jesus did. How many times did people yell at Jesus because of the days he would heal people? And yet he kept on healing people. How many times did people show that they were not appreciative of the things that he did? And yet he kept ministering to them. How many times did he have to fight adversity when he would teach in the temple in the synagogue? Adversity from the spiritual leaders. And yet he kept teaching in their synagogues. Kept ministering to the people that were there. He didn't back down. And we don't have to back down either. Just keep going. Every day, you take what you have, what God has given you, and you put it to work. See yourself even as a Zacchaeus. Maybe you're the least in some quality, characteristic, that for some reason you think, I need to be much better in this than I am. But if the shortest guy in the land could become the richest and not by the way everybody thought, how much more can you? See, God gave some talents, some abilities into Zacchaeus. But nobody could see him because he was so short. People may overlook your talents and abilities because of some shortcoming, something going on in your life. But you've got to look past it. Because until you look past it, they won't. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread said, this represents my body which is broken for you. He told them that on his body all the sickness and disease we put upon him. That on his body he bore our pains so that we wouldn't have to. How many times did the devil tell him your body cannot possibly bear all of this? But the word of God had prophesied and it said so in Isaiah. And Jesus held on to that. And he let his body be beaten because he knew this would help you. As we eat together, we never look upon Jesus as being inadequate. But don't look on yourself as being inadequate either. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant covered up sin. This new blood, this new covenant 
this was going to wipe it out. Don't you think the devil came and told him, how can your blood be different? He had to resist that. And he had to know, nope, this blood is going to do the job. So we drink together, let's remember, there's nothing you need to do to try and make yourself righteous, try and make yourself right, try and overcome any of the shortcomings that you have. Receive the blood of Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness of sins and a restoration into His presence. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Well, Father, we thank You this day we can do this together in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Not just on these Sundays when we do this together, but all through the week we got to remember that Jesus is the one who overcame all all shortcomings. He overcame all the odds. And I thank you that he's on our side give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Victor. Uh, so glad to have us all in church today. And um, for those that are watching by way of the internet, we are happy to have you join us also and to share in fellowship with us. <clears throat> uh, thank God for the word of God this morning. Um, I'm sure we all have been blessed. Hallelujah. And we have a lot of good news, testimonies here today of what the Lord has done to um, so many of our brethren. And I was reading to them. I just was giving thanks to God for his faithfulness. We always want to share those um messages, those um, loved gifts that God has given to you, uh, we'll, we'll always want to share them together with you. So um, we're happy for those that um, turn in their praise reports today. Sister I said, I would like to thank the Lord for another successful year of school in spite of several challenges that came my way. I also bless the Lord for another year of my life. Um, Hallelujah. Another year of my life and a wonderful vacation with my church friends and family. Hallelujah. Um, happy birthday, Sister Ara. Sister Ento said, thank God, thanking God for his many blessings to me. Um, the first is that I want to thank the church family for their beautiful financial gift towards my mission trip. Um, through your love and generosity, I have completed the final payment for the trip. And I am all set to go. Amen. <laughs> uh, we said, uh, may God generously uh, give, may, may your generous gift sown into this mission trip be multiplied abundantly for your good and God's kingdom. Amen. The second is that I received a very good review for my performance at work uh, for the past six quarters. I exceeded expectations for my work um, in the past year and a half of this year. 
and uh, what was attached to that was a financial blessing. Amen. <laughs> and the pastor just mentioned that this morning, you know, one thing was given to you and you were able to multiply it, you know, for God, other blessings to come. So we thank God for that. Uh, brethren, Allison and Phil, they are also thanking God. See, we have been going through um, some things, but God is in control. Amen. And um, see, from uh, Phil received um, an award from Home Depot this week for five credit cards he got in one day. And his manager has, uh, you know, promised to take him for a lunch. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Uh, Sister Susan said, I'm thanking God uh, for the new 2019 Sobarao Forester. I will be getting by the end of this month. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. I mean, these are the wonderful works of our Father, and I think um, it's good that we came around to appreciate God for them. And um, God be glorified. Amen. We have a, pray, a prayer request here from Phil and uh, Allison uh, regarding their daughter, Alexis, who um, is in a, in a relationship that um, is not good. And they are trusting God that God will take her from there. And um, they've also been trusting God that they will have time to uh, discuss, speak with her. Because since May this year, they've not really been an opportune to meet with her and talk to her. So we will trust God with you that God will make um, an opportunity for uh, two of you to meet with her and bring her out of that relationship. Uh, one thing we will, I will also say is... Um, uh, don't stop confessing what you're expecting to see. Um, your expectation is that she comes back home, she gets out of that relationship, wake up every morning and call it as though it has happened. Alexis, we call you out of that relationship. You are out of that relationship. Keep speaking what you are expecting to see. Amen? And the Lord will perfect the words of your mouth. Glory to God. Uh, today is... Uh, uh, before okay, we have uh, some uh, text messages from our bro- uh, from two of our brethren, uh, Orlando and um, uh, James Totenbecker. Orlando was discharged from the hospital, I think, yesterday. Uh, he was admitted, and we thank God for the quick recovery. Uh, Jim also uh, sent a message that he was admitted for them to review his uh, white cell count that went up. But we give God thanks because. Uh, what the doctor sees is really not what the Lord is saying concerning our lives. And we know that God will give them quick recovery in Jesus' name. So today is our church picnic. Uh, just after church service, we are all heading to pastor's house. And the pool is ready. Uh, we will also have some eating, hamburgers, and uh, all the stuff. There. If you need a ride to pastor's house, please uh, just see me after church so that we can discuss that and if you want to give a right to somebody we can also discuss that for those that are going to be baptized please you need to have a uh, see the pastor just after church service today for a brief meeting and if you need um, a direction today we have a google map around and you can also use your software to guide you to pastor's house god bless us and remain blessed amen <laughs>